Hello and welcome to the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's your week been? Yeah, it's been good, man. Like, I think like you, I've just wolfed down my dinner uh, really really quick <laughs> just so we can get, get on with recording. <laughs> but no, I'm good, man. I've, I remember at the beginning of the transfer window where I was getting a bit down about the amount of players leaving the league. But last night, man, I was really enjoying it. I think I said it on Twitter. I think it was one of the best transfer deadline days that we've had in Portugal for a like, long time. It, it felt so exciting. I don't remember being this animated about deadline day in summer or, you know, the potential for so many deals in the summer. It was it was really exciting, to be honest. There's lots of deals to be made. Lots of clubs were dipping into the market. and But it all seems mm. to be happening quite late on, didn't it? That, but that's what you yeah. In the summer, it was quite a long period. You'd hear the other one come through, but... Everyone's left it seems well left it very late, it seemed to. <laughs> yeah. Well, as it is the day after the January transfer window ended, today is going to be something of a January transfer window special. So me and Barney are going to talk about all of the biggest deals from the last uh, few days. We're going to answer your questions as well about uh, the January transfer window. So thank you to everybody uh, who sent those in. And hopefully, if we have time, Barney, we'll also do what we do best and talk about a little bit of Primera League of football at the end. So stick with us because this could be again another uh, intense show so much to talk about and I think Barney we have to talk about the biggest signing not just over the last few days but of the January transfer window uh, a deal which we thought might happen uh, earlier in the window looked like the interested called and then suddenly came back again and was very much official and that is of course Luis Diaz who becomes the most high profile departure from the Premier League since Ruben Diaz joined Manchester City. He signs a deal at Liverpool until 2027. Liverpool will pay 45 million euros uh, plus a potential 15 million euros in add-ons. We'll talk about the finer details of the deal in due course. But first, Barney, from purely a footballing perspective, what do you make of this deal from Liverpool's side, from Luis Diaz's side, and of course from Porto's side? I think for Diaz, it, it really is a, a good move for him. I think he's going to offer depth to those wingers. You know, Salah and Mane are excellent, but I think he has something to offer as well. And I think he will get opportunities in that team. I also think, you know, when the rumours about Tottenham came out earlier in the in January, that didn't feel right, did it? It didn't feel no. like a, a good move. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy for him. I think it's the right level. He's going to be challenging for all sorts of trophies there at Liverpool big trophies as well he's got the talent he's got the skill yeah it was good it was a good one I think the most important thing to say as well Barney is that on the off chance that there's sort of any Liverpool fans listening trying to find out a little bit more about Luis Diaz the one thing I want to say to them is that make no mistake this guy is the real deal they might be wondering whether he's worth the cash they might be wondering whether he's a you know a bit of a flash in the pan but honestly you know we've seen players of his quality playing in the Primera Liga many times um, the novelty never wears off for me, Barney. You think about the likes of James Rodriguez, Bruno Fernandes, Joao Felix, etc. Uh, and you look at those players and you just know that they're destined for a big club and big things in their career. And I can think I think you can definitely put uh, Luis Diaz in that similar bracket. I think, you know, when you watch him play, you know that he's got the quality to play at the highest level. And that's the thing, Albert, you know, he's always been a, a technically very, very, very skillful player. There's lots of great videos and YouTube of him showboating and ridiculous <laughs> skills. But what he's done this season, because let's not forget, last season he wasn't a, a key player for Porto. He had his mm. moments. Yep. What he's brought on this season in terms of his finishing, the way he can attack defenders, get past them, create things, is um, almost unbelievable, the, the, the strides he's made this season. So, yeah, he's worked on his game and that's what's put him to a, a place where he can move to Liverpool. 
I know that is our area of expertise, but of course, anybody who watched him in action for Colombia in the most recent South American tournament would have seen also that he's a, clearly a player who's taking this game on leaps and bounds. Let's talk about the, the move from Porto's perspective, Barney, because this is the next most interesting thing. A lot of people, after it was announced that Luis Diaz was going to leave, suggesting that this is going to have a big effect on the title race in Portugal. And I'm interested to hear what you have to say about that. I'm going to put my opinion out there straight away and I might get a lot of people telling me I'm wrong here, but I am of the opinion that, honestly, I don't think this is going to have the seismic change to the title rates that a lot of people uh, have suggested. And I say that not really because of Porto, but because of sporting and the fact that, you know, sporting are not six points behind Porto uh, because they lost games against Porto and dropped points there. I think Sporting are six points behind Porto because they lost games against clubs like Santa Clara and Braga. Although, of course, we understand that they're obviously hoping for Porto to drop points in order for them to be able to catch up. Uh, and so I suppose that does change the title rate in that, that aspect. I think case in point being a game like uh, Estoril 2, Porto 3, a game where Luis Diaz inspired an incredible comeback for Porto and earned them three points in a very difficult game. The question is for me, Barney, in a game like that, do Porto win that game without Luis Diaz? The answer is possibly not. You know, it was an incredible comeback inspired by him. Obviously, other people involved, maybe they get a draw, maybe they get two goals back, maybe they get nothing, who knows? But either way, I think now it's up to Porto to show that they still have the squad to dominate the league in the way that they have all season, even now Diaz is, is gone. And I'm inclined to suggest that they do because we've spoken a lot about Diaz this season, Barney, make no mistake. But we've also spoken about a lot of other Porto players, Vitinha, Fabio Vieira, Evan Nilsson, Otavio. My instinct is that they will still be strong enough to see this season out uh, as title winners. And it will be fascinating to see, you know, how they do in their next few games, but also once uh, the Europa League comes around and they start juggling a few more tournaments, how they uh, compete in that situation. I think you're right there because, yeah, I think to expand on what you were saying, the Porto team as a whole are creating goals of areas. They weren't relying on Diaz for all their goals. They, you know, there was plenty of other players who are creating chances, creating goals, getting assists. Um, so and I think that's going to you know see them through. They were also, apart from that Estrel game you mentioned, generally winning games by heavy goal margins as well. So mm. I think it's an interesting one because... Obviously, he is their talisman this season. And perhaps the only thing I would suggest is the psychological effect. You know, if, mm-hmm. if you're if you're in that squad and, and you're looking to win the league, having not won it last season, the Europa League for Porto should really be a, a competition that they think they should be able to win. If you're in that squad and you've just sold Diaz, the psychological effect might be the only thing that could trip them up, I'd say. But, you know, there's... There's experienced players there. There's young players there eager to impress. I think, personally, it's not going to affect them too much. The other thing to this, though, Albert, is a lot of people talking about the fee. And I'm interested to hear your thoughts because I've got an opinion which I I think people might disagree with. But a lot of people are very unhappy with the fee. A lot of people think they should have got more. His buyout clause was... Was it 60, 70 mil? I think it was up to 80. Yeah, 80 million euros. And, you know, here he is going for 45 plus add-ons and that's spread over a a large amount of time. You know, it does instinctively feel a little small, I think. I think, yes, I am of that opinion, Bonnie. I do think the fee is uh, surprisingly low. You know, the fee itself, 45 million euros, very low, plus a possible 15 million euros in add-ons. Now, uh, from one report that I read, and I don't know if this is 100% true, they seem to suggest that of those add-ons, 
10 million euros was pretty achievable, uh, but 5 million was probably very unlikely. And we know these add-ons can range from anything from, you know, Liverpool winning the Champions League, Luis Diaz winning the Ballon d'Or, yeah. 50 goals for the clubs, could be all those types of things. So the suggestion was that Porto, at best, will get about 10 million of that 15 million euros in add-ons. And I think when you look at that fee, when they could only be getting 50 million euros for uh, a player like Diaz, you do have to question whether they should have held out for a bigger fee, maybe in the summer. It's an 80 million release clause, Barney. That's a big difference. That's a 35 million euro uh, difference. You look at a player like Joao Felix, who I want to get this right. I believe it was more than 100 million, if that's correct, that he went to Atletico Madrid for. Obviously, I completely understand the youth side of that argument, that he was significantly younger uh, than Luis Diaz. But I don't think the golfing class of them as players at the time that they left, just to make that clear, uh, is, you know, a 60 million euro difference. So I completely sympathise personally with the Porto fans who see this as a low fee. I do agree. I don't think they really would have got the 80 million in the summer, but I feel like there was a reasonable uh, belief that they could get at least 60 mil in cash, you know, rather than the 45 mil plus add-ons. I think this is the thing I've been thinking about because, yeah, like I mentioned, I, instinctively I was like, oh, this seems cheap. But I think there's a few factors to think about. And I'm going to go into this because it's quite a big point I'm trying to make here. I think there are a few factors that people have to try and take into account. But I'm also also to say that I'm not sure the Porto board were perhaps intelligent enough to think about these things. But I just, I'm just going to bring these factors to the table about why I think mm. the fee is probably as low as it is. I mean, first of all, they're out of the Champions League, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a key moneymaker for Portuguese club. It was a key moneymaker for them last season when they had all these financial fair plays, restrictions in place. So they had to sell, right? Olivia, we've seen Oliviera go, we've seen Corona go. The other factor for me, which is more big picture, is this upcoming transfer window is going to be huge because we're going to see some big players move. You've got Players come to the end of their contracts, Mbappe, Pogba, you know, Haaland, Sterling, Dybala. These are players who are all either going to be coming to the end of their contracts or entering the last year of their contracts. They're, those are huge players who are going to be moving to the huge, the big clubs. So in that sense, there's not going to be, there's not a space for Luis Diaz, if you see what I mean. You know, the big clubs are going to be looking at those players. Now, the other thing as well is that we've, we've just had COVID. Clubs have completely adapted their financial plans you know in terms of budgets they want lower wage bills they're also paying lower transfers fees and there was an interesting situation in germany recently where kingsley Komen at bayern munich right he's not a nailed on starter for them but he was given a new contract making him one of the highest players at bayern munich now luis diaz would be in my opinion an upgrade on him for bayern munich but it's far cheaper for bayern munich to offer kingsley Komen a bump new contract then splash out the 60 million on Diaz and then the contract to Luis Diaz as well, if you see what I mean. And so perhaps this was the opportunity for, for Porto to cash in. You know, that you know, they've got big players potentially moving. You've also got clubs not not keen to, to 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 splash the cash. And so they were like aware that, you know, this offer from Liverpool might be the one we get, and, and, and that's where they do it. No, do you know what, Barney? I think you're totally right to point out that we're in a completely different football transfer market than we were even you know two years ago maybe even less maybe 18 months ago Uh, and you raised some interesting points about the possibility of big players being available free agents if anyone's interested in the kind of thing Barney's talking about um, I recommend listening to the latest episode of On the Continent there's a fascinating discussion there 
between Andy Brussel and uh, his fellow commentator about, you know, in the future, the possibility of uh, freelance footballers and the way footballers these days are more likely to run down their contracts. So you're right. I think it is a different world in terms of the transfer market. Maybe Porto could have held out a little bit longer and hoped that other clubs hadn't realised that. Maybe there was one more window where they could have got a big deal. Um, but yeah, I agree. You know, it's it's not all, it's not the same market that it was a few years ago, and I don't think uh, Porto were likely to get quite the uh, astronomical fee that perhaps they would have in years gone by. We've spoken a lot about finances there, Barney. I think we can all agree that uh, financially this is not ideal. But as you point out, I don't think this transfer was going to end in the way that perhaps we've seen deals for the likes of Raul Felix, Ruben Diaz uh, and similar players go for in the past. Well, look, there is one other massive deal that we have to talk about, Barney. And after weeks and weeks of rumours, we can finally talk about a done deal, a deal that we wanted to talk about for so long, uh, a deal that's massive for us on this podcast. And that is, of course, Marcus Edwards, who joins Sporting on a permanent transfer from Victoria. The deal was quite convoluted. I believe it is something like 10 million euros cash, plus Bruno Gaspar, plus the youngster Jenny on loan, and even the possibility of uh, Gonzalo Plata in the summer. So very convoluted. But forget all of that. Let's talk about the player bonding, because this is a guy that we've been following uh, ever since he left Spurs and took that brave step as a youngish guy to go and play abroad. Uh, and it feels like such an exciting moment to see him get a move to the reigning Portuguese champions, uh, a team that will be playing in the Champions League and probably be playing at some level in Europe for many years to come. Very exciting move for the player. Albert, you're right though. And the fact that how brave Edwards was, he, he was the first player in my mind, the English player to, to move abroad, to get playing time. You know, a lot of, obviously a lot of people talked about Jane Sancho recently, about, you know, his when he made that move. But Edwards had done that before him, you know, and I think that is... It's now paid off. It's it's absolutely paid off. You know, this is his big move. You've mentioned the Champions League football. You know, the national team will be looking at him more closely now as well. All his time at Victoria, you know, he obviously had that fantastic season and then a little bad season under a bad manager. And, and now he's had a, another good season. It's, you know, all that work, all that ups and downs. And he's here and he's made it. I, I like it a lot. I think it's a really, really good fit. I think it just makes sense, you know, when you see him in the sporting kit for some reason it just it just seems to click and and you're right you know the thing about Marcus is that there wasn't some kind of established pathway into Portugal for young English players before we came so yeah it was a move very much out of the blue but uh, a move I think that's definitely paid off because when you when you look at what he's shown in Portugal the time that he's been here what he's shown is his undeniable talent and I think you know I think back to that first season that he had in Portugal when he was absolute magic. He burst onto the scene. He established himself as one of the best young talents in the league. And he had the sh- he showed that he had the potential to go far. Of course, his second season, last season, uh, wasn't the season that I think anyone expected or hoped, including the player himself, I'm sure. But when you look at it retrospectively, it shows him playing under a manager who clearly had issues with him, a manager who left before the end of the season, uh, as a bit of a failure and you compare that to uh, Ivo Vieira who managed him in his first season who clearly believed in him so much and helped him achieve his best this season under a similar manager in Pepper he's been back on form he's on course to have the most productive season of his career so far in terms of numbers uh, and Sporting who we know have been long admirers of his decided that now is the time to bring him in uh, to make an impact in the title race I think Amarim will be a massive factor 
uh, in his development. He clearly wants him. Uh, he believes his ability uh, and he'll be, in my opinion, the uh, perfect manager to take his game to the next level. I think it's easy to underestimate also Barney, you know, just how good an opportunity this is for Marcus. I just will reiterate, you know, sporting, fighting for the title in this country, competing in the Champions League, uh, it's a fantastic platform to showcase his ability. I think Ameren's been quoted, or at least it's, it's known that Ameren's, the reason he's admired Edwards is one-on-one, beating a man ability, right? And if you look at how sporting play this season, they mainly get forward on having overlaps from the wing-backs. And when you think of that attacking trio, Pote is good for finding the right spaces, being the right place at the right time, good finisher. Sharabia has got a lovely pass on him. You know, he can put, a, mm. put dangerous balls into the box. But Edwards is that different in the fact that he can maybe be a man or two. And that is a really important element to have in the team. So I think that works well. You know, we think um, a lot of people are asking about who, who's going to replace, is he, is he going to start? You know, there's obviously going to be rotation in those front three. I also think there's going to be the option now for Amarin to play without Paulinho. You know, let Pote play for in the middle, put Edwards on the right, have a more fluid dynamic, also a, a faster attack than, than when Paulinho is in the team. So I think we'll see that for sure. And, and yeah, I can just picture it already, man. I can I can picture that combination of players. I can picture Edwards putting balls in for Paulinho. You know, hmm. he, obviously he's had success with a stooping in the season. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's opportunities for him to get into that front three, aren't there? I think at the moment, Sarabia is probably the only untouchable one in that front three. We know, you know, as you say, Polinho and Pedro Gonzalez not having the goal-scoring uh, exploits that we expected. But I think given the number of games that Sporting have, you know, the fact that they'll soon be juggling Europe and the league, I think there will be more than enough minutes available for Marcus. I think he might have to settle uh, for a bit of rotation at times uh, if he's happy to do that, but he will get his opportunities to have an impact. And I think when you look at the fact that if we're being realistic, as good as Sarabia has been, the likelihood of him sticking around next season, just purely from a financial point of view, is quite unlikely. I think, you know, a season uh, bedding into this team, maybe a little bit of rotation here and there for Marcus, uh, will be perfect timing for him to then, you know, have a good summer, good pre-season, full pre-season with the squad and then be ready to step up and be a key player from the start of next season, I think. Well, look, of course, obviously there was a lot more uh, action in the transfer window so we do just want to quickly touch on a few more moves uh, the first of which was of course Wanderson Galeno joining Porto from Braga a bit of a surprise for me Barney the fee was 9 million euros 50% of the players rights he's obviously been brought in to be another option on the wing following the departure of Diaz and it's an interesting one He's obviously got a link to the club having been on the books before he'll fit into that same position that Diaz played in I think he'll be a very valuable option, even if he's not quite set the league alight to the level that I thought a club like Porto might come in for him. Equally, we saw news that Samuelino may well move to Atletico Madrid for 6.5 million. So if there's a player like that available for a lower price, uh, you do wonder whether this made the most sense. But make no mistake, a very talented player. And I think a useful signing for Porto if Perhaps the fee for me was a little bit on the high side. I personally think you mentioned Lino. I think Lino was there, would have been their first choice. But Galeno, I think, is, yeah, like you said, a decent player. He's um, He makes sense in sort of, he seems quite a, not identical, but as close to an identical replacement as Diaz, for, for Diaz, sorry. Um, so that that makes sense. It's just interesting, isn't it, Albert? Like, you know, it, this is not the first time that Porto have bought back 
a player they let go. You know, Semedo as well in this window we've seen come back. Um, Sergio Oliveira, I think himself was away in Greece before they 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 paid for him to come back. It does seem a bit backwards. So yeah, <laughs> I, I I think it'll be all right for them. I, I think Pep, you know, it'd be a nice little battle between him and Pepe to get that left wing spot now. Mm-hmm. So that 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 could be good to have a more of a competitive um, position in, in that Porto team. No, I agree. I think he will be a useful signing. As I said, though, my only. Uh... My only question mark is about the fee. And just to reiterate, that's 9 million euros for 50% of the players' rights. So that, that is on the, on the high side for me, I have to say. Well, let's, there was another big incoming at Sporting Bayern. And in fact, you know, we were obviously a bit overexcited about Edwards joining Sporting. I think the Sporting fans were probably more excited about this one. Uh, this was Islam Sunamani who returns to Sporting. And I'm just going to paraphrase the words of Shardai Barney. It's often never as good as the first time. But Sporting have gone back to a player who served them so well in the past and they're hoping he will uh, deliver again. Uh, He made his name at Sporting, of course, in Europe. Uh, I don't think ever quite made it after leaving. He had a big high-profile move to Leicester, which never came off. Um, And he rejoined Sporting six years later at 33 years old. Uh, He's given the job of getting the goals that Paulinho seems to so frequently miss. I don't mind the deal, Barney. Um, I don't think Slomani has ever reached the level that he hit last time he played for Sporting since he left. Uh, and I understand, of course, there's a lot of sentimental value tied up in this deal. But I can't help but feel that Sporting would probably have never signed this player as he is now had he not played for them before, if that makes sense. You know, for the player that he has is now and has been for the last few seasons, I don't really think this move is merited. But obviously, I respect the history that he has with the club, and I know that counts for a lot. So here he is. He finds himself back at Sporting and hoping to make a difference. Well, that's it there, Albert, what you said. You know, because they know it works, that's that's an important thing for a January transfer window, a January transfer, sorry, is that you want someone to come in and just... Hit, yeah. hit, be able to hit the ground running. That's why you're making the move at, at this time. So it does make sense in that. Uh, um, I was really enjoying all the sort of uh, the last dance tweets about Islam coming back. <laughs> I'm all for that. So yeah, I, I think they need a, a goal scorer, but they, he's done it for them before. Um, and he's that builder striker that Thiago Thomas wasn't, right? Uh, you know, the, yeah. that bit more physical with the sort of person who's going to get onto the end of uh, balls put in by... Poro or Nuno Santos, you know, that, that's that's what they need. So, yeah, he, uh, it, it fits in that sense as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, despite my reservations, I'm sure he will be a success and I'm sure sporting fans will be throwing my words back in my face come uh, come <laughs> the end of the season. And lastly, Barney, one deal that actually I don't think either of us have seen the confirmation for, but it was reported that it has been finalised. One of the players that we've championed on this show for such a long time, pretty much the whole time that we've done it, Samuelino, 22-year-old Brazilian forward who's been such a key figure uh, in Gil Vicente's recent success. Uh, we speculated that he could be in line for a move to Braga or even, as we mentioned before, with Luis Diaz's departure, whether he could be a smart signing for Porto. But it's a move to Atletico Madrid in La Liga uh, that materialised in the end. Undoubtedly, a fantastic move for the player. Uh, as I said, the fee is rumoured to be about 6.5 million euros. Are you just surprised that a big Portuguese club didn't come in from that price, or perhaps uh, do you think that the pull of Atletico simply meant that uh, those big Portuguese clubs weren't considered by the player once he knew of the Atletico interest? Yeah, I think that was the case. I think Porto probably, as once the DS uh, move was finally confirmed, 
probably put some feelers out, but you know, the, it's Atletico Madrid, man. They're the champions of Spain. And, and I, I tell you what, I, what I did last night, which I wish I hadn't. I just went on Twitter and I just searched tweets about Samuel Lino, and <laughs> <laughs> seeing some of the Atletico fans been like, "Who the hell is this?" It just made me think. <laughs> it did make me think, but that I do really think that this league is pretty underappreciated and uh, and undervalued because I think a good comparison is to France, right? And we've seen plenty of young talents from France move to big teams. You know, Camavinga, for example, to Real Madrid most recently. Martial moved to Man U when Thomas Lamar moved to Atletico, when Ferland Mendy even moved to, to Real Madrid. You know, those are players who weren't playing for huge clubs in the French League. They were just exciting young talents. And that's exactly what Samuelino is. He's an exciting young talent in the top league. It, there's a, there's nothing to say that he won't go there and absolutely kid it. He'll be um, in a better squad. It's I'm so happy for it, man. It just feels so good to see what he's done and and, and get that that sort of move, which I I think he deserves. I really do. I do as well, and I think it will be a big step up. Let's not forget he's 22 now. You know he's not 19, so it will be a big step up. But he's he's shown that he's got so much talent, and I think with the right coaching, he will definitely excel. If anyone listening is worried about not being able to watch him in the league anymore, don't worry because I believe he is staying with Gil Vicente uh, until the end of the season. So we will at least see him uh, playing in Portugal uh, until the summer. Well, look, we've done an awful lot on transfers today, but as we said, it was a fantastic uh, transfer window in the end. We will round this up with just some quick fire questions that we took from you, the listener, on Twitter. So we want to say, firstly, thank you to everybody who got involved and sent us a question. I think we've got three great questions to discuss, Barney. And also, I do want to say a quick shout out to Danny, who asked us for our opinions on Luis Diaz, which uh, we've already covered uh, at the top of the show. I will start with a simple one, Barney. An obvious question from friend of the show, Lauren, who asks, which team do you think had the best window and which team do you think had the worst window? And just as a bonus, which signing are you most excited to see at their new team? But I think the answer for that from both of us will be Marcus Edwards. That's an easy one. Yeah, I think that is. I think um, for me, the, the best transfer window for, has to be uh, Gil Vicente. I think they've kept all their best players. You know, the, the, there's been a few departures, but that's from really um, fringe players in that squad. And for them, you know, you look at Porto Menendez, they've lost a couple of players. You look at um, Estoril have as well, to be fair, but I think that the, the key, keeping that key midfield combinations of Pedrinho, Fujimoto, um, keeping those attacking players like Lino, who we've mentioned, uh, Navarro as well, up top. That's absolutely key for what they're trying to do this season. I think that's you know, that's probably going to be for me the, the best January transfer. What about you? Well, that's an interesting one. If you want uh, something in the spirit of teams doing well for keeping players, I would point you in the way of Santa Clara, who did very well to keep both Lincoln and Marita, two players Good point. who we thought might leave. But my honest answer is not a very hipster answer. I think the team that had the best window is Sporting. I think replacing Thiago Tomas and Jovan with uh, Slimani and Marcus Edwards is just two fantastic upgrades. You know, they're a team trying to claw back that six-point difference with Porto. They've seen Porto sell their best player and gone, look, we need to give this a good go. They've put their money where their mouth is and they've signed two big signings. So um, for me, those would be the best. And go on then, Barney, what about the worst window? Which clubs had the worst window? If I might go first, uh, I was tempted to go with Porto Menens because they lost some key players. We saw them lose Elton Boamorte and Fali Kande. This in the middle of a terrible run of form. So that was pretty bad. But then they did make some interesting signings 
on deadline day. Uh, the one that I was most interested in was Ricardo Matos, uh, a young striker who joined from Olianens, another Algarve side uh, competing in the Campeonato de Portugal. He scored 10 goals in 14 games, which is a fantastic statistic. So interesting to hear how it gets on. For me, Barney, there's an obvious answer to this question. The team who had the worst window by far was Vitoria. I mean, they lost to Marcus Edwards and didn't replace him. Andre Andre, their captain, I believe, has been sold uh, to Saudi Arabia. And then at the last day of the window, Falay Sacco got sold to, I believe, Lorient in France. So Pepper, who was already struggling, has lost his best attacker, his key midfielder and leader, and arguably his best defender as well, and really not received anything in terms of replacements, all while the squad was struggling anyway. I think that is by far the worst transfer window in the league in January. I absolutely, I absolutely agree with you. And I, I really think it's so interesting, isn't it? Because you wonder what Pepper was sold on. Was it April last year? Because it was yeah. before the season over that he, he, he signed, he agreed to move them. And then, you know, what reinforcements did he get in the summer? Is Semedo, Brevgrich. I mean, and then, like you say, the, the, the players that have left this window. I mean, he, he got passed to throw it into Europe. And I really feel like Victoria might struggle to get those even those conference league spaces now, it's mm. such a depleted team. So, yeah, that, Victoria, absolutely uh, the worst. I mean, the other thing I wanted to say just generally about uh, teams in this, this transfer window, a lot of movement for the the promoted teams this season, Aruk and Vizeda. And, yep. and the thing is, they're players I can't really pass opinion on. Yeah, they're, they're not names. Like, obviously, there's been a couple that I've known, but a lot of movement and I, I don't know what that is you know it's, it could be panics it could be you know good players to prove them but um, they're, they're, I think they're two teams definitely to uh, keep an eye on as well Absolutely and we've spoken that both of these teams despite you know being real novices in the Premier League have a good opportunity to stay in this division so you know I know a lot of our listeners are keen to keep an eye on all ends of the table so definitely keep uh, and I on those two teams. Well, thank you, Lauren, for that question. I think that was a good discussion. Uh, the next question comes from Paul Rodriguez, Barney. So thank you, Paul, for your question. Two, this is a doubleheader, two quite interesting points. He says, with Luis Diaz gone, who do you think will be player of the year if we assume that Luis Diaz won't win that now that he's left? Uh, and secondly, now that Luis Diaz has been sold, who do we think will be the next high-profile transfer to leave the Portuguese league? Do you want to take the first part of that question, Barney? Who do you think will be player of the year? Oh, that's um. I'll, I'll just say Samuelina straight away just to get out of the way. But then, <laughs> I, um, Evan Nilsson's starting to look really good, isn't he? And then, of course, if Darwin get you know comes back um from international duty and, and and keeps his goal scoring streak up as well, he he could be he could be one. Yeah. No, I agree. And do you know what? I'm going to be cheeky, Barney. I'm going to answer both of Paul's questions with one player because I believe the answer will be the same player. The player that will win player of the year and be the next big high-profile transfer out of Portuguese league. I think it's Vitinha at Porto because, you know, this is a star in the making. I think, you know, his stock is increasing with every game that he plays. I think he's such a young player making himself into a key, key player in that Portuguese midfield. I think come the end of this season, his stock will be so high if he continues putting in the numbers that he's got. And a player like that, such a gifted, gifted footballer, won't be off the radar of big clubs around Europe. So for me, it's the same answer for both questions. I think it will be Vitinha. 
I like that. I, like, I agree with that. And another name, so I'll just throw out there, Inacio could be a big, um, yeah. a big move in the future. Maybe not this summer, maybe the summer after, but the, the, yeah, the way he's developing. Yeah. A big ball playing centre back. Those are quite rare to come by. So could be very valuable. Let's do our last question then, Barney. This comes from our friends at the Portugal Corner podcast. Now, I know I've tweeted about these guys a couple of times, but just to say it on the pod, if you're not following the Portugal Corner and listening to their podcast, make sure you do. Uh, it's four Canadian guys who do a really funny, really enjoyable podcast about not just Portuguese football, but the Premier League and uh, Portuguese players in Europe. They're on Twitter at Jarawanda. Definitely go and give them a follow. They've asked a good question, Barney. They say, which striker in the league should Benfica be signing to uh, sort out their goal scoring issue? Now, I've already joked to say they should sign Paulinho, but I don't think that's the, uh, that's the right <laughs> man for the job. That's such an interesting one, because how many strikers that... Benfica, because but by the way, that, that's another interesting point we haven't talked about. It, yeah, is Benfica did no yeah. action in the, in the transfer. They were there. my second choice for worst window, purely by the inactivity. I guess with a caretaker manager, you're, you're not you probably don't want to bet anyway. Well, that's a whole other discussion, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what striker? Sorry, I want to get this right because I think that's a really interesting question. Would you want me to come in first, then, Barney? Because I think there's one answer which you could say, no one, how about. You know, they just coach their strikers into being better. As you say, they've got six on the book currently. I think Gonzalo Ramos could be a young player that can make an impact. I think Darwin Nunes being on good form is imperative. But if they were going to shop around and pick a striker, the, the one interesting choice that you could go for is Fran Navarro from Gil Vicente, just because he scored a lot of goals in the league. But that said, uh, another transfer that we didn't quite discuss was uh, Mario Gonzalez leaving Braga on loan. You know, there's a striker who scored a lot of goals at a lower level, moved to a big team and couldn't replicate the form. So I think, you know, there's no guarantee that if you sign a player like Fran Navarro, even though he's, I think, in the top three goal scorers in the league, that he will be able to transfer that uh, goal scoring record to a big club but I think if you were going to pick a name for me it'd be Fran Navarro but I think my harsh answer would be how about you know the strikers that they've already got to start scoring some goals Mike my, my, I've, I've thought one now I think uh, Navarro is a good choice but I'd also go Peter Musa from Burvista I think he's got a lot of promise and he, he's quite a similar like style to Darwin I think you know Biggs but he's not he's, that's not all to his game he's got skill and pace as well so that would be my answer maybe Rui Costa should uh Get uh, Edison Cavalli on the phone, see if he's uh, see if he's still interested. <laughs> <laughs> they don't need to buy strikers, man. They need to get a coach. They need to, you know. There's a whole <laughs> list of problems that Benfica needs to sort out before they start thinking about strikers. Well, look, I think we'll leave the transfer chat there for this week. We've done quite a lot on the January transfer window as it turned out to be uh, a very interesting window in the end. Uh, so we thank you all for your questions uh, and we hope you enjoyed that discussion. All right then, Barney. Well, let's do what we do best and talk about some of the football that took place this week. And I think we should start, Barney, with uh, the Tassa de Liga final, which took place last week. The Tassa de Liga always makes me laugh, Barney, because it's the competition that literally no one cares about until the final and suddenly everyone's very excited. Uh, and Benfica took on Sporting in the final this time. Benfica, of course, gave themselves a glimmer of hope by going 1-0 ahead through Everton, but it was two second-half goals from Sporting that turned the game around and meant Sporting got their hands on a very nice bit of silverware. Definitely a deserved win for Sporting, I think. Benfica, though, obviously in a very tough moment 
uh, in this season. This was a nice opportunity for them to give their fans something to cheer about. Uh, I read somewhere that it's now more than 900 days since Benfica last won a trophy of subkind, which is an awfully long time for a club of that stature. So I think it's fair to say Benfica probably needed this one a little bit more than Sporting. I think that's an interesting question, because, yeah, I was thinking, you know, who is this more important? Obviously, Sporting have had, had stuttered in recent weeks. And so I, I feel like a win for them was was more important, and particularly in the league. I think they needed this win to pep them back up. I think Benfica, Albert, are just a win would have been nice, but I didn't feel... And it's really weird to think this, isn't it? Considering that the squad is the same squad that did so well against Barcelona in the Champions League, got through the group stage in the Champions League. It's very weird to think. I just felt that they didn't look like winners at all in this game. I think that's spot on, you know, and, and a really good a really good assessment of where Benfica, Benfica are at. They don't look like winners at the moment. And that's such a difficult thing for a club like them to go through. Uh, in terms of in terms of mentality, I think you know it was a very good goal that they scored, and I think you know they did show some fight in the game. But as I, I mentioned earlier, I just feel like in that second half when Sporting came out, they were so much on top, and I think you just kind of felt this inevitability almost that they were going to get the two goals that they needed and go on to win, which they did. And of course, any silverware is is a good success for for a club and, and and sporting will enjoy it i joked about it being the cup that no one cares about you know of course it's fantastic for any team to win uh, a cup competition but as i mentioned i think benfica probably would have been a little bit more desperate to get their hands on this one than sporting but it wasn't to be yeah it's an interesting thing because i think you know, Verissimo has now had a, a quite a bit of time w- with the squad. Now, I still feel like they lacked a little bit of identity. Obviously, there's there's players away in international duty, so the squad wasn't at full strength. But it does highlight the sort of the lacking they have in terms of. I think Uremchuk looked poor, and with mate ma- in midfield as well, it just didn't seem like a very uh, a competitive team at all. And then you know, compare with Sporting who had Poro coming back and what a difference he made to, to, the, to that squad. Like, I'm dreading the day people go back to early in the season when I was trying to say that this guy was better than him because... No. <laughs> 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 I, I hope people don't remember that because, yeah, he just came on and made an, an instant impact, didn't he? So, And there was, like, you know, just that little bit, little things here and there, like, the aggressiveness of sporting, the sort of, you could see how much it meant to them, you know, even that bit when Poro was on the touchline waiting to come on and how he was interacting with Amarin, like getting so excited. There was a massive win for sporting and I think that set them up well. It's just made, you know, for for, for the league now, it just gives them that extra push and uh, that, that, that's going to help them, I think. Absolutely. Well, congratulations to sporting on, on that win, an important bit of silverware for their season. And, you know, to any Benfica fans listening, you have our sympathies. We know it's not easy for club to go through what they're going through at the moment very difficult time and it's disappointing that this uh, final wasn't the final that maybe could have kick-started a uh, more positive uh, end to the season than than what they've had well look, let's talk about the Primera League of Barney uh, I think we've just got time to do a couple of games this week we've talked a lot about the big three in terms of transfers and the cup final so we're just going to focus on two interesting games from a different part of the table this week uh, and I want to talk about Barney Probably the most dramatic scoreline from this week's fixtures between two very interesting clubs this season, Vizela and Pretoria. Vizela coming off the back of a very valuable three points against Tondela last week and Vitoria, who had also just had an important win against Estoril. Both clubs looking to build some momentum and get some very valuable points, but it was Vizela that came out on top uh, in this game. They came from 1-0 down 
uh, and eventually won the game 3-2. And as we've seen so often this season, Barney, I feel, it was a decisive second half that determined the result. It was 1-1 at half time. Both teams very evenly matched, but Vizela came flying out of the second half and outplayed Vittoria to take all three points, backed once again by their terrific supporters. I was really, uh, obviously, we, we lost our recording last week of our dis- uh, discussion with Vizela, but I wanted to talk about their squad hour because I think it's, we shouldn't forget that there's a lot of players in this team and, and starting for them as well who have been with them through the back-to-back promotions. You know, Coffee Cow at right back, you know, there was, there was rumours linking with Porto. He's been fantastic. Idrada, the centre-back, you know, both these players, they signed from the uh, clubs in the Ivory Coast. Idrada uh, scored in this game. There's lots of players in this squad who have made the step up twice now and are, and are delivering on, on, on the big stage. You know, and I think what's really nice with this squad is that they've added signings that have developed the team but haven't taken the places away of the people who deserve to be in the team, like those players I've just mentioned. You know, there's um, Chachini on loan from Braga, I think it's been a good signing. It's, it's helped Cassiano sort of take the pressure off the goal scoring on it for him. Um, Claude in the Brazilian who they signed from Fizipur and Turkey as well has been excellent in that midfield, you know, bit of experience, bit of quality. And then the player that I think has, um, has really caught my eye, Alex Mendes, the young American who they signed from Ajax is on the 21 team, you know, I, I didn't expect to see as much as we've seen from him this season. You know, playing in that midfield, I would thought we'd see him as a winger. You know, he's not the most um, physical presence in that midfield, but he offers this little bit of skill, this agility, and and, and can pop up in spaces that uh, the other two, Samuel and Claude, might not find. And it just adds something to that midfield. It's um, I think the, the, this long-winded point I'm making here out is that it just seems like a a really cohesive team that are, that are all fighting for each other. And, and and that's what's really helped them this season. Yeah, I think we've mentioned them a couple of times this season, finally, haven't we, as a team that had the potential to play great football. You know, they played great football in the lower leagues uh, and they haven't always transferred that to the Premier League, but they've shown in moments what they can do. And the second half of this game, particularly, I thought they really showed the potential this team has. They were easily the better team against Victoria, a much more established Premier League team, to put it to put it lightly. Um, we know that the Victoria defence has weaknesses, and I think Vizella did really well to punish those weaknesses multiple times in the second half. Those two goals that ke- killed the game came in that second half. They also had one or two more chances to score as well. So um, I think they did very well in that sense. And, you know, you picked out a player that you liked. The one player that impressed me so much in this game was the little number 10 maestro by Nikiko Bondoso. You know, for those not familiar with the player, he's a 26-year-old Portuguese winger. Before joining Vizela, he had never played higher than the third tier of Portuguese football, rose through the ranks with Vizela and now playing in the top tier for the first time. Barney, for me, is absolutely astounding that this guy has not been playing at a higher level for the whole of his career. Because when you watch him, he is absolutely brilliant. And he stood out above every other player on the pitch for both teams, Barney. He was so dynamic, so positive, so skillful. He created so many chances, both by running at defences. His passing was also excellent. He assisted the first goal. He created the second goal. Uh, and he created multiple other chances, particularly for Cassiano, who he linked up with really well. And his performance on the day deserved a man of the match for me. And I hope it's a performance which will uh, grab the attention of, of a lot of kind of casual Premier League viewers who maybe didn't know much about Vizela 
or him before because it's a fantastic story and a player who is just playing at a really great level. I cannot, as I said, I cannot believe that this guy was playing in the third tier for most of his career. It's incredible. That's the thing for me, Albert, with this Vizella team is that uh, I, like probably a lot of people as well, haven't thought, oh, I should sit down and watch Vizella this weekend. But man, like like you said, there there's so many individuals playing as a team, but just exciting. They, they draw you in. And when you find out their stories as well, I mean, Cassiano as well, who you mentioned there, he is an absolute one for me. Like he's an absolute, he's a complete joy to watch. You, you know, he's, a, he's that striker who is just hungry to try and get on the end of things. And, and that's what I love about him. Um, and yeah, Kiko Bundes, I, I think has been um, great. I think um, that's just a segunda. Didn't they recommend him at the beginning of the season as, as a yep. player to keep an eye on because of, because of his exploits last season for helping them get promoted. So, I mean, yeah, it was a, it's another really disappointing result for Vittoria. Um, I, I mean, obviously Rashini was the sort of tonic to that with a, a <laughs> lovely bicycle kick there. But yeah, I mean, we, we talked about it earlier, didn't we, Albert, in the transfer section about how Peppers really has been sold short on this Vittoria uh, project because the, <laughs> the cracks have been showing for a long time and they're getting bigger and bigger. No, it's funny, isn't it? Because I feel like we've talked about Vittoria in a very similar way all season. We're following up a week where last week we spoke about him in actually a very positive way with a lot of hope for improvement. And then, you know, the next week we're, we're, we're talking about a disappointing result and it's just been very, very imbalanced. It's been very inconsistent. But I do think this week feels slightly different for me, Barney. I don't know if you agree. I don't think they were completely out fought. I think they did show a desire to win the game, as evident in the fact that they scored two goals. But, you know, as you were saying about those cracks getting bigger, the biggest crack they have is in is in that defence in this game, only highlighted the massive holes they've got in that defence and that they've had all season. I do feel like a broken record going on about them. I feel like we say the same things every week, but it's just so obvious to me, Barney, that that, that defence is letting them down. Yeah, completely. I mean, I, I haven't got really anything to add, really, because, you know, like you said, there's been a, a constant thing with Victoria. I mean, we've talked about those key players leaving. I think the reason they had a good performance last week was because of the return of those players into the starting eleven, Andre, Andre and Edwards. And, you know, they've had, now that's not an option anymore. So there's players in that team who really, if they want to be serious about Europe, I think have really got to get their ideas together. And um, could be a, a long old uh, second half of the season for them. I'm just reminded of a comment that Rashinia made earlier in the season when he said uh, he wanted to be playing for Vittoria when they won their first league title. Well, uh, Rashinia, mate, I hate to break it to you, but he could be there uh, an awful, awful long time the way things were going. Well, look, let's just do another game quickly, Barney, and let's talk about Portsmouth versus Tondela. Uh, and unfortunately, it was another damaging result for Portsmouth. I thought they led 1-0 against Tondela at half-time. But ended up losing the game 2-1. Now, they had the joint worst form in the league of any club, which is pretty astounding, with only one point from five games. Interestingly, the club that they're joint with, Barney, is their European rivals, Estoril, Mm. uh, which is quite an unfortunate statistic. It didn't start too badly, of course, but they just couldn't find a second goal in the game. And then two late goals from Tondela punished them in the end. So very disappointing from Porto Menendez's perspective and you know any hopes of again similar to Pretoria any hopes of them arresting the tricky run of form that they're in and again a game at home against a club like Tondela is a good opportunity to do that but it didn't come to fruition no especially when you consider um all season they've had a sort of evolving starting 11 it's been a very fluid in terms of players coming in 
players hitting uh, streaks of form as well and sort of demanding a start in that lineup. I mean, I think about Nakajima, you know, at the start of the season, where was he? And then, you know, re- it's been more recently that we've seen him step up. And and obviously they've lost a couple of players as well, but Bo Morte and, um, and Fadi Kande as well has moved to France in this transfer window. So uh, both, in my opinion, very important players. And in, and in this game as well, we saw, you know, uh, the likes of Henrique Doku, the um, defensive midfielder who they signed from Benfica, get his first start. And another player, sorry, uh, Relvas, who they recently promoted from the youth team, who got the red card this game. You know, we've seen him come into the team. So they really need to try and get a bit of consistency, I think, to sort of help settle them and, and, and try and build some more momentum because they they, they have got some you know they've still got good players you think of that Angulo goal and the, the first goal in this game fantastic goal a really fantastic goal he's got that in his locker as well you know that that, that is like, they've got an exciting attack Relvis who once again I mentioned it, uh, who had got the red card I, I, I thought was potentially quite harsh as well you know he's looked exciting as well and he's played a number of positions for them now including centre-back in this game so I think yeah, it's they they need to sort things out, but I I, I also think that they there's there's not too much to worry about because I think there's there's mm. enough quality there. Well, perhaps an element, as you say, perhaps an element of of bad luck and just things not go, quite going their way in that form that they're currently on. Um, it was of course though a very good result for Tondela Barney, who we do have to give a lot of credit to. Now, they've not they've not been the most fashionable team to follow this season. You know, they've not caught the eye in the way that some other teams have. You know, we've talked a lot about clubs like Maritimo. We've talked a lot about clubs like Gilles Vicente. We've given them a lot of airtime. Tondela's probably one of the clubs we've given the least airtime to, but they have had some decent recent results. They've got two wins and two draws in their last five games. They're on 20 points, um, sitting in the bottom half of the table, but above the relegation zone. A few decent players in that side of course, not making any headlines this season, but doing a decent job. I think that's the thing with them. It's decent enough. And I think, I mean, one player who's really helped them in, in recent weeks, Baselli, the, you know, the, the Uruguayan striker with, you know, a winner again in this game. It's three goals in his last three games now. And and he's never been a starter for Tunde. He's, he's, he started the first game of the season and was rewarded with a start against Vizela last week, having scored those two goals those two late goals against Santa Clara but otherwise he's really been an impact and what an impact he's making you know he's got five goals for the season from 355 minutes in the league which interesting means he's averaging more goals per 90 than the other Uruguayan striker in his league Darwin you know Mm. he's been so important and I think the the two big results which Baselli's been key in now for Paco Estera and have both been on the road and that's massive for a team who basically relied on their home form last season. You know, I think that shows Paco Estran's credibility as being a really competent manager in, his, in, in, in this league because they relied on their home form last season. He's addressed that this season. And once again, Tondeo, I think, are going to be safe because, you know, they, they, they're getting these results and they, they've got, as you, as you said, to quote you, good enough players. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're good enough. Yeah, and I think it's, it's interesting the word you use, competence as well, because we see a lot of of the more kind of mid-table average Premier League clubs can go through these spells of being a bit of a shambles, really. And I think uh, Mororen's case in point, they have had a very poor recent spell, but Tondela, very competent club. You feel like they run quite well. They've got a very competent manager who you suspect will, uh, uh, will always do well enough to keep them up. They've got a pretty good transfer strategy as well. They don't seem to 
uh, splash crazy amounts of cash or bring in weird signings. And they're doing a good job. Um, I think the one player that I will give credit to this game is Eduardo Koreshma, the centre-back. I think uh, he had a very good game. He's a good defender, had some good defensive statistics, but also good passing statistics and, and played an important role in this game. I've criticised him a couple of times. I know there's a lot of hype around him. Um, there's been times when I thought he looked a little bit out of his depth, but he had a good game. Uh, and in general, just to reiterate, a very good game from Tondela, who uh, really did well, I think, to earn the three points over the course of the games, despite it being disappointing from Portman's perspective to let that lead slip uh, in the last 10 minutes or so, I think it was. The player I've been a little disappointed about Tondela is Thiago Dantas on loan from Benfica, right? Because... It's just got the. He's been given a lot of opportunities, a lot of. He's played a lot of football this season. He's been quite a regular starter for them, but he's just got the one assist. There's been, there's been no real stand-up performances from him, and you know players like Lincoln, Fabio Vieira, Yuri Baderas, Ivory Rodriguez for Famalicao are averaging like two key passes a game, and Dantas is averaging just zero point five. So there's a, there's a big gap there, and maybe I'm putting too much expectation on as. So often people do with young players, but his low move to Zondaya, where he's been playing regularly, he's got a real opportunity. I feel like he needs to step up and, and grab this opportunity because you know that it's you think of the young players at, at in Benfica's team who aren't getting the minutes. You know, this is you got to take your opportunity when you get it. I, I think I slightly disagree, not that I disagree, I just think it perhaps is slightly harsh because I am aware that Thiago Dantas. Uh, went with a lot of promise and statistically, as you mentioned, uh, he's not been the biggest success. But I think what it's worth remembering about Thiago Dantas is that this is a very young player who's very, very early on uh, in his development uh, as a professional footballer. I still think this loan move for him will be very valuable just to learn the ins and outs of playing full-time for a professional club uh, at an adult men's level rather than, you know, he went on loan to the Bayern Munich youth team last year. He's played for Benfica youth team at a very successful level. We've all seen the highlights videos where he's shown what he can do. So I think this is still a valuable loan move for him, even if he's not putting up perhaps the numbers that we've expected to. I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if next season uh, we saw him step up uh, and start showing, you know, exactly what, uh, we we know he he could be capable of. Well, look, I think that is all we've got time for on today's show. If you've listened this far, a big thank you for sticking with us and listening to what was a bit of a a marathon show. We only touched on a few couple of league games this week, but next week we will be back uh, to discuss the Primera Liga fixtures in full. And that brings me on nicely, Barney, to our very last section of the show, uh, when we like to give our listeners a bit of a game. Uh, recommendation to watch at the weekend uh, I'm going to go first because for me there is only one obvious choice uh, one of the highlights of the Portuguese calendar for me Barney outside of the the Classicos between the big three uh, and that's the Minho derby Braga versus Vitória de Guimarães uh, on Saturday night at 8.30 in the Estadio Dom Afonso Henriquez in Guimarães uh, I don't know how that one's going to go, honestly. I suspect a Braga win, but whatever happens, it's a fantastic derby between two great sets of fans and uh, it could definitely be a bit of a fiery one. Important that uh, Grimmish are home, I think. That's, that, that, could, that could be important for them. Oh, well, that's that's a super Saturday, man. You know, 3.30, re-terrestrial. That would be my choice. And then after that, 6 o'clock, Pastor Ferrer, Portsmouth Nens, obviously. The return of Gaitan. Yes. To, to the league. <laughs> 
Lego Gaitan. And uh, I know, Barney, that it's almost become customary for you to offer the listeners a hipster choice every week. So uh, I'll hand over to you for Barney's hipster game selection for uh, next weekend. Well, the the diehard is the the nine fifteen Monday night kickoff. Moran's B sad. If you... Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd say I'd say Brovista Vizela, three uh, thirty on a Sunday. I think that could be a nice little tie. Okay. I think um, I really like how Brovista have been playing recently, particularly in the the uh, semi finals of the, the cup as well. They they gave Benfica a good game, and then yeah, we've talked about Vizela, so that could be a nice little game. Sunday afternoon, very reasonable as well, Barney. Very reasonable. Yeah, very, uh, very reasonable. reasonable time to be watching football. Well, look, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Long Ball Football Podcast. Uh, if you've enjoyed listening, you could leave us perhaps a little review, either a written review on Apple Podcasts, or you could leave us a star rating on Spotify if you listen on uh, the Spotify app. Uh, if you want to get in contact with the show, uh, you can find us on Twitter. We always love getting involved uh, with your comments and your messages and any conversations that you want to have. We're very active on there. So go and give us a follow on Twitter uh, if you don't uh, already. But that just leaves me to say for this week, thank you very much once again for listening and we'll see you next week. Yeah, see you next week.